Welcome to the Men and Hoodies podcast, where we take you on an excursion through everything in the sports world. Trending news, hot conversations, heated debates, and unlike shows such as First Take and Undisputed, things that you, the listeners, actually want to hear. Let's now go to your hosts, the man that the water shows, Brent Lyons, the OG, Roman Cleary, hey, that's me, and of course, the always jubilant, Jake Stoop. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Men in Hoodies podcast. The boys are back with episode 32. We had a lot of fun last week in our Christmas edition. If you have not listened, go back and check that out. We had some fun takes on best movies and best experience that we ever had in Christmas. So definitely go listen to that. But this week, we've got college football. It's bowl season. As you know, this week, we've got New Year's Six Bowls coming up. We're going to be giving you predictions and our analysis on the playoff. But first, as we always do, We've got the fun segment to intro us in. Last week, it was the mean teams. This week, we're looking more at sports individually, right? Which which sport do athletes, in your opinion, train the hardest? Roman, start us out. Which sport would it be for you? This is extremely difficult because in professional athletics, I mean, every athlete is training extremely hard. Um, I'm ultimately going to lean towards football for that because it's Ooh. the most physically – demanding sport in in my opinion at least and uh you know that's really all i really have for that again it's extremely extremely difficult to be like oh this athlete in this sport practices harder than this sport or whatever i mean with the nba i feel like it's a bit more uh relaxed since there is so much game time that goes into it but uh, with the NFL, it's still a grueling schedule, but not a ton of games, which leaves a lot of room for training and practice and all of that. And again, it's the most physically demanding sport. So I'd probably lean towards the NFL and football with that. Brent? So in thinking of this, um, I am going to go straight to what seems like me being biased, but I feel like I have a really solid point behind what I'm about to say. I'm going to say running. But in the strict running, I'm going to say distance running. And mm. here, here is why I think so. When it comes to professional athletics, I think football, yes, is the most physically demanding sport. You get beat up the most playing football. Injuries come the most as far as like the most like the biggest percentage of getting an injury probably comes in football because, yeah, there's common injuries that you can get. But getting hit by a 350-pound man probably has a better chance of leaving you injured at the end of the day, whether it be a bruise or a torn ACL. So I give football that. But at the same time, when it comes to training your body to stay in peak condition, when it comes to day in and like when you're, when you're running, you can't necessarily just eat whatever you want in order to, Mm -hmm. in order to keep yourself fit. When it comes to football, sure. You're on, a a diet strictly to the position that you play, but there's flexibility in what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And to be completely honest, a lot of the times I like, when you see what football players eat, they're, they're eating like junk. It's, it's not, (laughs) it's not always like the 90th percentile football players are not eating salad and healthy foods all the time. And then the 10% that are like, yeah, sure. They're, they're all like, they're the best athletes and stuff like that. But like some of the best athletes still like Marshawn Lynch had Skittles yep. during every game like that, mm-hmm. like, sure. Like they're playing one of the most physically demanding sports, but you're eating like crap. And if you eat like crap as a runner, um, it, your performance in the sport is going to decline, um, fairly quickly and fairly you're going quickly to be up on the track. Yeah. Yeah, you are. And you're probably not going to keep your contract very long if you can't keep your, 
if you can't keep yourself stable like that. And the same goes with basketball, but I don't think I really have to make a case for basketball. Like Roma said, it's, it's pretty loungy. You can eat whatever you want. You, you just have to be ready for game time. Same thing goes with a YMCA player. As long as you're not thrown up on the court, you can, you can be out there whenever. And mm. there's other sports, I'm sure. But I feel like running actually has a case on the Men and Hoodies podcast here for taking the <laughs> dub just because of just because of the – when you eat, you have to eat smart. You have to drink smart. You can't be going to a party the night after a race or the, the night of a game and then going to play like Shaq used to do or Dennis Rodman and stuff like that. That's just not how it works. So that's why I'm, I'm going to be biased here and say running. So, Brent, I, I totally respect that. Uh, I will give a little experience. I got me a gym membership for New Year's. <laughs> and one thing I noticed is that I ran a mile, like first mile I've ran in a long time. I went to work out arms, and I look back, and Brent, by the time we're done, has run bragging on you a little bit. He's run close me, – correct me if I'm wrong. He's run close to nine miles at an mm-hmm. average speed of 9.3 miles per hour for over 45 minutes. And I yeah. look back and I see Brent running like that. And I'm like, he is a freak. How in the world is he training his body like that? And then I remember, okay, he's a D1 athlete. So I guess I understand that. I'm not going to go distance running, but I will go something that is extremely close to it. And in a way is more physically demanding for your diet and exercise. Most of the guys and girls have to shave most of their body hair in order to do mm-hmm. it. I'm going to go swimming or water polo. And in a way it is very similar to distance running like most Olympic or professional swimmers swim seven to eight miles a day and running, you can do that a lot faster than you can swim, especially Mm -hmm. for all the different variety of swim motions they have to do like butterfly and you got to swim backwards and obviously front, like I can't even name all of them. That's how many they got to do. And when I Uh watch water polo in the Olympics, I have no clue how they swim that way and still throw the ball in that. I mean, it blows my mind. So I would go something to similar as, as uh as distance running just because the cardio is on a different level i as long as as long as we're agreeing that a mainstream sport did not just win i (laughs) I think i think we're in agreement here that's why they're not mainstream because they're so hard to do look i've been i've been a full-time broadcaster since i was 14 okay i have not had too much experience in the actual athletic side of it so clearly my (laughs) opinion on this should be taken with a grain of salt but from an outside perspective Oh, I think just being in the NFL seems very physically demanding. But if Brent, the actual track athlete, says that uh, track and field and running is the most physically demanding, perhaps I should take that into consideration. <laughs> yeah, I think Thank we you, can Robin. Trust word. <laughs> hey, but you were you were a football player at one point, so I wouldn't say with a grain of salt there. Give yourself some credit. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. It's just. I decided that I wasn't going to make it in athletics at a very early age. Rightfully <laughs> so. I'm not regretting my decision at all. But I did decide very early on, earlier than most, that um, athletics uh, wasn't for me. I wasn't going D1. I wasn't going pro. I wasn't going anything like that. So I'm just uh, going to what I'm ultimately going to end up doing anyway. And I there think it worked out for me. And uh, I, think, <laughs> I think the decisions associated with that have worked out for the both of you as well. So, yeah, yeah, I would, I would definitely put your voice and that talent over the athletic ability. Same for a lot of us, um, other than Brent, obviously. But let's move on. Thanks, let's guys. get into an update, right? I know Roman and some, some of Brent, but he's kind of changed the ways a little bit. They're not as high on bowl season, right? But I think this speaks to Roman's talent as he loves to hit on, right? <laughs> as he loves to hit on, 
Roman is currently 19 and 10, ranked 21,000th in the entire world in bowl predictions, and he cares a lick about it. I think that deserves a clap. Congratulations, Roman, for being in the top, what is it, like top 10% of the entire world, even though you don't care. Brent tied with him currently at 19 and 10 as well. We're in the top 8%. Y'all are the top 8%. And uh, but some of us just don't care as much as you do. Yeah, I know. I care a lot about it, so I look into it. I'm currently 173rd in the world. Um, looking to kind of steal those college ball playoff tickets if I went out. That would be a really big possibility. We'll see what happens there. But I think as a men and hoodies crew, we're currently top three in our group that we're in with our friend group. So I think that deserves a lot of praise. We'll see how that stuff guys shakes out at the end. Look, guys, I'm I'm like that. Okay, I don't have to (laughs) care about stuff to know about it i haven't cared about professional wrestling in what seven years and i'm still kind of on on tap with that and i guess it's kind of similar with bowl season but then again how could you not care about some of these riveting matchups that we have here (laughs) in this you know epic bowl season washington beat quinn ewers in texas 27 to 20 earlier tonight ole miss they go down to texas tech wonderful oh my gosh oregon beat north carolina by one Arkansas and Kansas, that was that one was actually pretty good. And yeah, it was. <laughs> the Razorbacks ultimately. Okay, won. all the ones you just mentioned ha- mentioned have one. actually been really riveting. Like, <laughs> I just want to say, really exciting. I'd be beating Jake if I didn't go on a five game losing streak like yesterday. It was mm-hmm. it was pretty rough, but I was yeah. like, I was in first until that happened. But of course, none of the bowls top the oh best game of the year. I'm walking the first away. responder bowl. The Ryan game of the year. The and, game of the year. <laughs> yes. Ryan Silverfield and his wonderful, magnificent Memphis Tigers absolutely crushing the Utah State Aggies 38 to 10. Crew. And then everyone transferred after that. Yep. Good job, Ryan. What do you know? You're amazing. Extend him for 10 more years, Laird Beach. So you and Mr. Silverfield can keep up your hashtag no homo relationship. But oh my gosh, your way. Oh my gosh, bowl season, baby. All right, I'm I'm gonna end this right now. Let's move on to the bigger bowl you game with a lot more implications. We've this got the is college. On you. We've got the college football playoff one v four, two v three, Georgia versus Ohio State, TCU versus Michigan. This these are the biggest bowls by far, Fiesta and the Peach. First, let's look at some pretty good questions as we get into it. First, we've got the matchup on Saturday at 3 o'clock. We've got what should be, as has been marketed on ESPN, all these major platforms, is it's basically going to be TCU's offense versus Michigan's defense. Roman, you start us out. How do you think these teams will fare in this game, and who would you favor in that matchup, the offense or the defense? For So TCU's offense and Michigan's defense, you mean? Correct. Man, I think Michigan's got a great defensive unit. I mean, they're they're in the college football playoff, the Big Ten champions for a reason. But this TCU offense is incredibly explosive. I mean, Max Duggan was a real potential legitimate candidate uh, to win the Heisman Trophy. I mean, he had that horn frog offense, you know, humming the entire year. Sonny Dykes is a phenomenal play caller. And with the current nature of, you know, modern day college football, you're going to be leaning towards the offense there. I think TCU's offense should be able, you know, to do pretty well against Michigan's defense. Michigan's defense will still get a decent amount of stops on them. I mean, but at the same time, the Wolverine defense will not win Jim Harbaugh's team this game. It's just not going to happen. If Michigan wants to move on to the national championship, I think it's really going to have to be 
their offense with J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards, who has filled in really nice for Blake Corum. But it's going to be, you know, those guys having to, you know, get points on the board and controlling the clock and keeping TCU's offense off the field, which I think they're capable of doing that. But don't expect TCU's offense to get held to 10 points here and for Michigan to win by 20 because I'd be very shocked if it went that way. Yeah, and I think something that I don't know if anybody is stating it or not, but I think Michigan's offense, especially Blake Corum, could be considered just along the lines as TCU's. So when you're looking at the – I think Blake Corum's out for this game, though. No, yeah, he, he, is. he is. I'm just saying, but when they have him, his off their offense is arguably better. And uh, when I was watching Michigan play, when they played Penn State, uh, I didn't see much of a difference um, because Blake Corum did play, but he was not the star of the show. I believe his last name is Edwards, who, uh, who actually had two touchdowns and about 260 mm-hmm. yards against yeah. us in the second half of the Penn State-Michigan game. Donovan uh, Edwards. Yeah, Donovan Edwards is – sorry, I don't remember first names all the time. Uh, But Donovan Edwards had about 200-something yards and two touchdowns in the second half against Penn State. And Penn State is has a pretty solid defense. They have three first-round draft picks on defense coming up in this year's draft. And uh, as far as their defense goes, they shut down some of the top-scoring offenses in the country this year. So when it comes to TCU, I don't think that Michigan should necessarily be worried – about their high-powered offense. Um, yeah, Max Duggan is a Heisman candidate. He's great. He's had an incredible year, and I give him credit for that. But at the end of the day, I think Michigan definitely has the defense to overpower TCU's offense, and I think their offense is good enough that even if the defense plays a little bit down, their offense is still up to par with TCU's that they can make it happen regardless. I'm not saying I'm not limiting it to saying that TCU will be shut down because Max Duggan is a beast, but at the same time, I'm I, I think that Michigan has it in hand here, and I would not be surprised if the story was Michigan's defense overtakes the TCU mm. offense. Yeah, like you said, Brent, both teams come in with great offenses. TCU's ranked 16 in the country in total offense. Michigan ranked 27 in the country in total offense. Even though they both average over 40 points per game. On paper, TCU does have the better offense. That's been the big headline thus far leading up to the Fiesta Bowl. However, like you, Brent, I would really challenge this headline because in my opinion, like you said, I would favor Michigan's offense. When you look at it against teams that end of the year ranked, TCU played Kansas State twice. When they played them, they averaged 34 and a half points per game, down six from their average. However, when Michigan played teams that were ranked at the end of the season, Penn State and Ohio State, a Rose Bowl contender and a Peach Bowl contender, They average 43 points per game. That's up three points from their average. So against better competition with the highest stakes, Michigan plays better offensively than that of TCU. So I would argue of that point, but also Michigan comes in ranked the third total defense, only allowing opponents 277 yards per game. TCU has an all-around scheme. So when you look at a Big 12 school, you're typically like, okay, they're going to run the air raid. They're going to be strict to it. They're going to light you up in the passing game. So Big 12 teams simply don't have enough time to prepare for TCU because TCU more attacks you with an all-around scheme. Max Duggan, like we talked about at the beginning of the year, last year he was not able to run. That wasn't in his bag. He's added that this year using his physicality, kind of like Josh Allen does, and he's been able to transform that air raid that it normally was into this all-around offense. And when you play teams in the Big 12 every single week, they don't have a time to prepare for you that's why they're able to light teams up on the scoreboard however michigan will have had a month an entire month with already the third ranked defense playing against big 10 opponents to prepare for doug and sunny dykes and tcu 
So for me, when you line it up, I would argue the point that Michigan may have the better offense, but I really like Michigan's defense in this one to overpower them simply because when you've got John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh it is, as a coach with the fantastic defense that they even boasted last year up until that playoff game, you've got to give me Michigan's defense in this conversation. Yeah, Again, I just don't think that this game is going to come down to those particular units. It's really going to be about who plays the best football you know, on both sides of the ball. It's really going to be about who wins in all three phases. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. this is still a really interesting conversation because, you know, Michigan's defense is the premier unit for that team. Mm-hmm. TCU's offense is the premier unit for TCU. So that's why the tabloids, you know, things like ESPN have really marketed the game such as that. But I really think this game is going to be more so about who wins in all three phases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I that, agree. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's an important point to mention. Roman, you're a little bit higher on TCU's offense, but let's go back to Michigan. Last year when they played in the playoff, they played Georgia at that 2-3 slot, got absolutely smoked 34-11. to Roman, what do you think is different about this Michigan team coming into the playoff this year? Well, I think this Michigan team really is coming in with a chip on their shoulder because, you know, last year after the season was over, they lost David Hutchinson, they lost Hassan Haskins, they lost others uh, like Daxton Hill. And I guess people just didn't trust them to fill in those holes. People didn't, you know, say, oh, you know, Michigan's Michigan. They'll figure it out. They'll be back there again. No, everyone just assumed that, you know, they were going to get steamrolled by Ohio State and get right back to where they were, you know, before last season. And, you know, I think Michigan came in really thinking about that for the entire year. People were really treating them as this underdog team, despite the fact that they won the Big Ten last year. They were the team in the college football playoff, not Ohio State. So I really think that was a major motivating factor for Michigan. And if we're just being whatever, Michigan actually has a real chance to get to the national championship this year. Last year, you know, they ran into Georgia. Like, what are you supposed to do there? Like, but... I really think there's a newfound sense of of optimism for this Michigan team because last year was really seen as something of a miracle. You know, you finally beat Ohio State, but this year you did it again and you did it decisively. There wasn't even a conversation to be had this time around. So I think this Michigan team is coming in with a lot more confidence than they did last year. They have a better chance at getting to the national title game than they did last year for uh, being honest. And I think, they really have a more of a chip on their shoulder. They have a better quarterback. They have a bit more of a balanced offensive attack. As a result, you know, it's not just the run game all the time. You know, guys like Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum, who's unfortunately injured, they don't have nearly as much pressure on them as someone like Asan Haskins did last year. So, yeah, I just think this Michigan team is just a bit more well-balanced, you know, a bit more confident, again, playing with that chip on their shoulder that, di- that they didn't exactly have last year. So, yeah, I think it's just shaped out a bit better uh, this year for the Wolverines. Yeah, and I think coming into this year, and myself included on this point, I think that we kind of blew off Michigan at the beginning of the year just because their schedule was so simple, and they didn't schedule anybody that would have given them a challenge or anybody that in non-conference play would have been like, oh, yeah, they definitely deserve to be high up in the rankings. And I, I still agree. I feel like if you're going to be – um, a team that's going after a national championship, you should aim to play some of those teams that could stand in your way um, and know that you're going to put yourself out there against the best competition, come non-conference play. But at the same time, everybody kind of doubted them to start the year. And 
not doubted them that they couldn't win, but doubted them in the sense that are they scared to play these teams? And we didn't necessarily know if when the time came to play these teams, was a Michigan team going to show up or was it going to be the same team that was just kind of like no worry about them playing UConn uh, that we saw at the beginning of the year. And I think everything, the first test was against Penn state and they kind of Penn state has one of the better offenses and scoring in the country, as far as overall season goes. And they kind of just shut that down really quick. And then they went to Ohio state and did the same thing. And it wasn't, it was like, like Roman said, it wasn't even really a conversation like, especially the Ohio state game was like just so decisive. I know the Penn state game didn't mean as much, but they're still ranked top 15 in the country. So it was important to point out, but just the fact that they put both of those teams uh, in high regard at the time they were at the time of the game and still now in their place and just kind of silence the haters haters is a weird word to use, but still applies here um, and just kind of made their way through all the doubt and through all of it to get back to Michigan back to the college football playoff. And I agree with Roman. I think that they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, but I feel like they're actually playing with confidence this year. And last year, the the goal I feel like was to get to the college football playoff this year. I feel like the goal was to compete for the national championship, not just to make it. So mm-hmm. now they've made it and now they're competing for the national championship. They have the swagger, they have the confidence and now they just have to put it all together. But I think the goals have completely shifted because last year they were kind of, the team that was just the butt of the joke in the big 10, they were always good, but you knew when they played Ohio state, they were going to get beat up by Ohio state and they're going to get beat up by somebody else. This last year, they changed that dynamic. They were just happy to make the college football playoff this year. They knew they had that dynamic. They knew they were that team, but this year they came to compete. And I feel like they have that this year. And the reason that Ohio state and that Penn state game went so well is because they're able to own the line of scrimmage. When they played Penn state, of course, you've got, Sean Clifford ripping away a couple big plays in the first half, being able to throw the ball downfield and run the ball himself for that crazy 70-yard run that came out of nowhere. And same thing with Ohio State. It's a close game in the first half. But what's different about this Michigan team is they can control the line of scrimmage. Last year in the playoff game against Georgia, they gave up four sacks alone. This year, they've only averaged one sack given up per game. That's the reason sophomore QB J.J. McCarthy can sit in the pocket for so long is because of the experience up front. They're not going to let anything touch them if they can help it. And another thing you got to add on to that is turnovers. Last year against Georgia in that playoff game, they had three turnovers, two interceptions by McNamara and then a fumble. This season overall, they've only got seven, right? So when you look at it, they've improved in the exact areas they need to improve, Mm -hmm. and they've gotten better with experience. That's exactly what you want with the team entering the playoff last year. They got absolutely smoked. And good thing for them, they don't have to see that Georgia team again until <laughs> they make it to that national championship. Or they have that rivalry game in Ohio State, right? And you've already won that game before. So this Michigan team really has a possibility of making it far simply because they've been able to improve at the things that lose you football games. Being tired at the end of the games, relying on big plays, and then turnovers. This Michigan team knows how to protect their quarterback and take care of the ball, both of the aspects that derailed their chances in the playoff last season. All right. Yay, Michigan. You're doing very well. Congratulations. <laughs> you're probably going to make the national title game, and who knows what happens from there. So well, we'll see. Ohio State right now doesn't have the best chances compared to Michigan. Obviously, their last game coming in a loss against Michigan, 45 to 23. Roman, what does Ohio State have to do to beat Georgia and potentially play Michigan in the national title? Well, I think during this time that Ohio State has had off, people have really soured 
on, you know, the idea that they're a legitimate team that can really compete for this, t- for this title. But they are. They're still a ridiculously good football team. I just think that Michigan had an extremely good day. Everything went right for them. I'm not saying that Michigan didn't deserve to beat Ohio State because they certainly did. They absolutely dominated them. Like you said, on the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball, especially in the second half. But this Ohio State team is still, you know, a super explosive team offensively. They can score on you at any time. I mean, you're not going to have Jackson Smith and Jigba or Travion Henderson in this game, but you still have Marvin Harrison Jr. as that top wide out there. And, of course, C.J. Stroud under center. And, you know, I, I trust these guys at Ohio State to really fill in that role and, you know, make up for it and compete uh, with this Georgia team. That, in my opinion, is not exactly unbeatable. They're not, say, like the 2019 LSU Tigers or the 2001 mm-hmm. Miami Hurricanes. We've seen this team get in trouble uh, throughout the year against teams like Kentucky and Missouri and, and others. So Ohio State has more than a chance in this game. So to answer your question, I don't really think they have to do anything specific other than just show up and play uh, the game that they know know how to play. You know, you have to be more explosive offensively than you were against Michigan. You have to get more big plays because this Georgia offense can score. I mean, people can talk all the trash they want about Stetson Bennett, but he's leading a very efficient group out there. There's no doubt about it. Brock Bowers is maybe the most dominant offensive weapon in the country. Mm -hmm. So, Ohio State is going to have to really keep up with Georgia more so than they might be thinking heading into this game. Of course, Georgia's defense is the, you know, the premier unit for that Bulldog team. But this, you know, offense for Georgia is still very, very good. But I think Ohio State probably still does have the slightly better offensive firepower. So they really need to play off of that. The defense has to get enough stops. So, yeah, there's not some sort of like secret key that Ohio State has to do of getting the win. It's really just about execution on both sides of the ball for them in my opinion yeah and I was gonna say pretty much the exact same thing as Roman it's kind of funny I just think that they really need to go in there and play the kind of football that they know how to play they have all the weapons they need to beat to beat Georgia obviously they're missing some key pieces but that doesn't mean that they still can't win this game like Roman said we've seen them struggle against teams with not as much talent as Ohio State has at their third depth position like this is this is not something that Ohio State isn't used to. They're used to having some of these guys not play in these big games. They they are they are a team that knows how to scout players and knows how to get guys for these moments. And I think that as long I know they're not favored, but if I was making a case for them to win this game, they they just need to play like nobody like nobody's watching, like nobody is saying anything behind, like obviously people are saying that they're going to lose obviously they're looking at that but if they play like nothing hap- like nothing matters and that this is just a game then I think they win because I feel like they play with a lot more fun and not fun isn't the right word but I feel like you know what I mean they play with a lot more fun I'm going to say it they play with a lot more fun <laughs> than Georgia does they they know how to just enjoy the game and when they're when they're rocking they're rocking they have their fan base behind them, just like every every college football team does. But I feel like if Ohio State can just play the game and just play football, they they have the better chance of getting the crowd behind them, getting the getting the hype they need to win this game. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back to an issue that Ohio State had against Michigan. They scored the first touchdown of that game at the 10 minute mark. They had a four yard touchdown, so I forgot the wide receiver, but that was easily Ohio State's best drive of the game. They were able to go 12 plays, 80-something yards, 
controlled the clock, controlled the ball, and ended up scoring a touchdown. Other than that, it was field goals, not being able to convert in the red zone, and a lar- and a big touchdown pass to Marvin Harrison. If Ohio State is going to beat Georgia, a Georgia team that only gives up 13 points a game, they're going to have to establish the run. They're going to have to control the line of scrimmage. They cannot rely on big plays like they did against Michigan because if you can't play tough, grit and grind offense, then you're not going to control the tempo and you will suffer, suffer for it. Look at Georgia's defense. Even though they've had a little bit of struggles here and there with those teams like Missouri, with those teams like Kentucky, a Tennessee team that came in hot, won in that game more than anything, they held them to 13 points with Hendon Hooker, with Cedric Tillman, with Jalen Hyatt, all of these guys that you know, were top 15 when it came to Heisman voting at the end of the year, barring Cedric Tillman, who would have been if he was healthy, right? This team knows how to hold back dynamic playmakers. And Georgia's coming in. They're not focusing on any key guy. They're not going to be like, we're going to stop C.J. Stroud. They're not going to be like, we're going to stop Marvin Harrison. They know that they just need to play their defense and limit the big plays because Ohio State has not really shown this year that they're going to beat you at the line of scrimmage other than those lower-end Big Ten teams. So I think Georgia, their play style favors this game a lot. But if Ohio State's going to beat them, they're going to have to play more of Georgia's style. And once they do that and establish that, that opens the offense that they love to do, throwing it downfield and getting those big chunk plays, which helps develop your defense as well. So I think I think at the same time, if they just – like you said, at the Michigan game, they opened it up with an 84-yard touchdown drive. If they can break the game open early and kind of get loose, get the first touchdown, get a good stop on defense, and then get the ball back and get rolling again, they're going to play a lot more loose and a lot more, not freely, but they're going to play with a lot more like confidence. And I feel like if they can do that and get and get the game going their way early, then they have a much better chance of staying in it longer and potentially winning the game. Whereas if Georgia goes down the field, scores a touchdown, holds the Ohio State, gets a, then Georgia goes back out there, scores another touchdown, or gets a field goal, and then the score is 10-0 in the first quarter early or something like that, mm-hmm. Ohio State then has to play from behind, which is something that they haven't in the times that they have had to play from behind. doesn't work out very well for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you're playing from behind, they they sometimes forget that it's a 60-minute game with a stopping clock, right? Mm-hmm. The sense of urgency starts to set in, and then you're like, okay, let's just throw a deep bomb every now and then. we got to get back in this game. I think coaching from Ryan Day needs to be a big attribute here. This is a long game, and you've got the time. Don't rely on those big plays early. Really seek to keep this a low-scoring game because a low-scoring game at first – that means you're holding Georgia's offense. And if you can hold Georgia's offense, then you have a shot. I think their defense definitely needs to step up, and the offense will eventually score some points. Well, I think in the Michigan game, if you really take a look at the numbers, um, Ohio State showed that they could you know, move the football at the line of scrimmage. They could run the football. Trip Trianum had 14 carries for 83 yards. That's six yards a carry. So really, if they could run the ball more, that could hypothetically work. You know, what you're saying, they, they need to control the line of scrimmage, play more of that Georgia-style football. Ohio State, according to the numbers, has shown that they, they've shown that they can do that. So if they can emphasize that more, you know, they, they do have a real chance, in my opinion. Well, yeah, you look, at, you look at all the stats, 143 rushing yards in that game, 349, only led to 23 points. Ultimately, you're going to have to, even though they have a high volume in the numbers category sometimes, you're going to have to limit turnovers and you're going to have to score touchdowns. And against Georgia's red zone defense, that's going to be extremely hard. So that's why I say, yes, sometimes they can show flashes, but they've really got to study. They really got to get into it early. And, and also, that line of scrimmage. Yeah, but 
CJ Stroud attempted 48 passing yards. That's insane. In, in that, uh, 48 pass attempts, excuse me, in that Michigan game. If that's, if you can have, if you can get, if you can get more of an even split there, because the game wasn't really blown wide open until the fourth quarter. Yeah. So if you can get more of an even split there, I think the Buckeyes have a real chance of winning this. I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is honestly, if you compare it, y'all can comment on this about this too. I personally think that this Ohio State-Georgia game might be a little closer. I do expect Michigan to easily cover. Against TCU? Oh, yeah. I agree. Well, we will uh, get to that in our official predictions. <laughs> uh, actually, I think those are right now. But Yes, perfect transition, Roman. Let's get into the New Year's Six Bowl tr- predictions. We've got Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Rose Bowl, and then we ended off with the playoff bowls, Fiesta and Peach. Roman, we'll start out with you. We've got the Orange Bowl filled with what should be a perfect matchup between both Orange teams, Clemson and Tennessee. Roman, who do you think will take home that Orange Bowl trophy filled with a bunch of oranges? It's pretty cool. Well, um, I'm going to go with Clemson here because Tennessee, they're going to be missing more pieces uh, simply, and uh, Clemson looks to be better with uh, Kay Klutnick, a quarterback, as opposed to, to DJ Youngadale, uh, obviously. Tennessee, they don't have Hinton Hooker, don't have Cedric Tillman, uh, and they don't have Jalen Hyatt. So, yeah, just too many w- missing weapons here for the Vols, in my opinion. I'm going to take the Clemson Tigers to take home the Orange Bowl title. Yeah, we saw what South Carolina could do to a Tennessee team with depleted weapons, and now they've added a couple extra to that list. So, uh I'm I'm not gonna I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, if Tennessee pulled it out. They've had a good year and it isn't all it isn't just the players. Good coaching and good overall talent leads to that as well. But at the end of the day, I think that Clemson takes this one. And, you know, I know we have a little bit of a a little bit of a score count going with this, I'm sure. So I gotta make sure I get these picks right. So give me Clemson. Yeah, I've also liked Clemson from the beginning. Tennessee will be without Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, and Hendon Hooker, three of the guys that were responsible for those midseason wins that really got them to that number one spot where they needed to be. I like Clemson. They're coming off a big win against North Carolina in the ACC championship against hot quarterback Drake May, 39-10. to 10. Will Shipley is going to be the highlight player for Clemson, especially with those highlight players not playing for Tennessee. Clemson is led by the talented freshman, as Roman mentioned, Cade Klubnick. But I think the only reason – I think Tennessee could pull it out is because of his inexperience. He's a freshman, and I think that could be a stumbling block on this big stage. And I do like the SEC in this way because I think they have a lot more depth. ACC, typically, if you have a good year from Clemson, they're usually talented with a lot of good players like that of Hunter Renfro, Deshaun Watson. He really led those big-name guys. If you've got a freshman quarterback leading the way, you might have a little bit less of a chance, but I do like Clemson in this one as of right now. I could always change this night of you never know, but I think Tennessee suffers the bigger loss. Give me Clemson in this one. Look, I'm just saying the last time that Clemson was led by a freshman quarterback, it worked out pretty well for him. So, <laughs> Yes, um, for sure. We'll see if that can hold true in the Orange Bowl. Roman, we'll move on. Next one for you, Kansas State versus Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Who you got for this one? Well, this is going to be far from easy for Alabama because Kansas State coming off of a win of the Big 12 championship game over TCU – and they have Darren Sproles 2.0, apparently. Yep. So, I mean, it's going to be a tough one for Bama here in the Sugar Bowl, but I am still going to take them here. Bryce, Bryce Young returns for this game, along with Will Anderson, and barring any injuries from them, 
I feel like Bama should be able to come out and prove why they should have been in the college football playoff, at least in my opinion, by defeating Kansas State pretty handedly, a team that, uh, again, beat TCU in the Big 12 title game. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I'm known for a couple of upsets and looking down the list of games, and you may question some of the upsets I might say or maybe not say, but you know what? Give me, give me Kansas State. Uh, I feel like they, they're definitely not the better team. That's, that's pretty obvious coming in, but I feel like they're playing with more to prove. Alabama doesn't want to be here. Um, I speak from experience when I say that when you don't get the bowl game you don't want, uh, you don't really want to be there. Uh, I 2019, I was not excited when we had to play in the Cotton Bowl against Memphis. I thought we should have been in the Rose Bowl against Oregon. <laughs> and we got stuck playing the crap show that was the Memphis Tigers, and what? we whipped them to bits. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, and so I feel Alabama hey, Brent, here. This is why people make fun and, of you at school every time the Warriors lose. This is and, why. Uh, Roman, we aren't talking about the NBA. And if we were, I, I'd just like to mention that we won last year and you didn't. But back to my prediction. Um uh, we also got the ring, not just in the series. Um, but back to my prediction, I think that Alabama doesn't want to be here and Kansas State can take advantage because they're they're still out here trying to climb that ladder, uh, trying to take over as the new Big 12 powerhouse when Texas and Oklahoma leave, even though this year they weren't powerhouses at all. But they're still the name brand. So Kansas State trying to take that place at the top and beating Alabama would be a surefire way to do that. Well, Brent, I would agree with you, but I think they do want to be here. Bryce Young and Will Anderson, like we talked about two weeks ago, they came back when they're two of the top three projected picks in the coming NFL draft. These guys want to be here. And when you look at it three years ago, when Alabama was playing as the five seed in a bowl they didn't want to be in, they played Michigan, right? And they won that game in the New Year's Six Bowl handily, right? Nick Saban always has his teams prepared, and he really likes to prove that if you leave Alabama out of the playoff, you're going to you're going to pay for it because we're going to win in those bowl games. I think the last one coming, the last loss they had when it came to a bowl game not in the playoff was against Oklahoma like a decade ago. Other than that, they are always solid in any bowl game you put them in that is not in the college football playoff. Give me Alabama well, for this one. Jameer Gibbs, Bryce Young and obviously Will Anderson are going to lead them to this promise. I thought they should have been in the playoff and I think they'll handle Kansas State, even though well, Deuce Vaughn, uh, like you said, is, is pretty solid. Well, uh, I'm looking down the list of other games that we still have yet to hit, and uh, I saw one of them, and uh, I'm I'm bold, but not that bold. So I'm gonna switch to Alabama here, um, <laughs> what? Because because I I know what's coming, and I need something to fall back on. So give me Alabama. Okay, interesting. All right, uh, Brent. We'll start out with you, then we'll go to Roman and me. Maybe this is your upset, but let's go to the Cotton Bowl the one where Memphis and Penn State played in in 2019. Now we've got the USC Trojans and the Tulane Green Wave. Brent, who's your pick? Give me the Green Wave. I knew it. <laughs> Why Tulane? Well, you know, I've been I've been pretty high on Tulane all year, and I feel like both of you are going the way I know you're going. And last time we were against each other when it came to Tulane, Tulane pulled it out. And I feel like this is another situation where USC has the pieces to win, but Tulane just wants it more. And yeah, USC wants to be here. They have no reason not to be. They've got all their players. Uh, Caleb Williams can't declare for the draft, so he's not. He's got nothing to lose playing in this game. So why why in the world would Tulane win? Well, they're having the most successful season of their lifetime, and it's never going to happen again. 
So why not cap off an incredible season by beating USC, the Heisman Trophy winner, with what has just been a team that has improved week over week over week. And the AAC needs to get a win because the last time they were in the Cotton Bowl was pretty embarrassing. So oh this goodness. is their way. It was a this close is their game. way back up. To, it was 42 to 25. It was a close you, game. It was not. Quarters. It was 53 to 39. Sorry, pretty much the same thing. That was pretty. That was a pretty close game. That was, the, that was the most points y'all got scored on all year. Okay, did we win handedly? Yes, we did. I feel like we could pull up back in the. I'm I'm remembering an earlier episode where Roman said what a handed victory was, and it was like ten points. So in Roman's book, we did handedly beat. So uh, AAC making up with the best team in the conference oh my goodness. with a win over the Heisman trophy winner in the green wave. That's my most bold take. I promise Roman. So this bowl game, speaking of the 2019 cotton bowl, I see a lot of similarities, you know, I do as on, well. on one side, you got the, the team from the AAC, the American coming off of a fantastic year. That is a fundamentally good team on both sides of the football. They're not some crap shoot. Okay. We can, we can keep that. <laughs> 2019 Memphis is one of the best group of five teams of all time. And, those, Tulane. and, and this, and this Tulane team is also really good. I, I I don't think it's as good as the 2019 Memphis team, but I still think it's really good. And on the other side, you got a USC team kind of like the Penn state team. That was just a game or two away yeah. from making the college football playoff. And unfortunately for Tulane, I think the same result plays out here. I think the power five school USC comes away with the much-needed victory. I mean, I think USC actually is coming into this game with a lot to prove. They mm-hmm. lost handedly to Utah twice. They got blown out by Utah twice. They are going to be super motivated, I think, to put on a show in this game. And I don't think they're going to overlook Tulane. I just don't see Lincoln Riley doing that. I think he's going to have his guys prepared, just like James Franklin did for that Memphis-Penn State game you know, three years ago. So I see a similar result playing out. I expect a high scoring affair. I think Tulane will put on a show, but ultimately I just don't think they will be able to keep up with Caleb Williams and company. Yeah. Looking back at the the similarities between Memphis and Penn state, Memphis counting it up had eight current NFLers on that team. Tulane does not. I know Michael Pratt is good, but the best he's going to be is a backup quarterback somewhere at the highest peak. I don't think this Tulane team is anywhere near as good as that Memphis team was. And I argue that this USC team is a lot better than that Penn State team was as well. With a high school quarterback, a very, very good running back in Travis Dye, the only thing that would hold USC back in this game is losing Jordan Addison to the NFL draft. And why wouldn't he go to the NFL draft, man? Coming off a Blitnikoff award and then obviously an outstanding year this year, why wouldn't he do that? I don't blame him, but I do think that, like Roman said, Lincoln Riley will have this Trojan team ready. Caleb Williams is Caleb Williams. He's going to get it done no matter what. I think that they own the line of scrimmage and they have those big plays near the end of the game where they just pull away. I do think it's close, though. Tulane has been able to stick around all year, but I really do think that Tulane was a benefactor of a very, very down AAC this year, and you're seeing that in bowl season so far with UCF and Cincinnati losing really big. And I want, I want y'all to know that I was trying to get a reaction out of y'all. The most fun game I had all year besides Ohio State was Memphis because it was I, I got to talk up talk it up and chalk it up with everybody from Memphis because uh, in case you didn't know, Penn State had never played Memphis up to that point. So it was a, it was a pretty big moment being a Penn State fan playing in Memphis, but I was just trying to pull y'all's legs. It, it was a really good game, and y'all had a pretty good team. I do, though, think 
Uh, I know this isn't the point of conversation that Penn State had has the better team than USC does this year. They may have the Heisman winner, but overall NFL players uh, that are in the league now that were on that team in 2019, I, I can't look it up now. I would if I could, but I think we had double digits that are in the league right now. Can we at least agree that I think 2019 Memphis would beat this two-lane team pretty easily? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Should I go how, down the list? Patrick but how Taylor, many But how many of those Green Memphis Bay. players are playing the same position in the NFL? Who cares? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we got, we got Patrick Taylor, third stringer for Green Bay, Kenny Gainwell, second stringer for Philly, Antonio Gibson, you know him, Calvin Austin. Then if you go down the list, Chris Claybrook starting secondary for Jacksonville, Bryce Huff, who actually sacked Josh Allen. That's pretty hype. And you got J.J. Russell. And then Riley Patterson, man. He was the MVP of that Penn State game. But overall, yeah, Memphis would handle this two-lane team for sure. Typically, the MVP comes from the winning team. But I understand what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, y'all, y'all had Micah Parsons, and I think he can speak for himself. So Yeah. That's when everyone thought that Micah Parsons was a coverage linebacker. <laughs> well, he now, can do about anything at this point. So Now he's the best defensive player in the NFL. I I, I still think that's Aaron Donald, even though he's having a down year, but I know he Yeah, then C.J. Watt. I'll give you credit for that one. Let's yeah. move on. Let's talk some more Penn State and Indy Lion. Roman, we've got the Rose Bowl coming up in Pasadena. Who do you have between Penn State and Utah? Well, I, I was tempted to change my pick because of uh, Brent's nonsense talk, but I'm going <laughs> to stick with it here. I'm going with Penn State to win this game. I mean, I know that Utah is probably going to come in here as the favorites since they're the ones that – absolutely rocked over USC for the second consecutive time winning in the Pac-12 title game. But I think this Penn State team is has been underrated all year. They just unfortunately had a tough go of things in the Big Ten like they usually do with Michigan and Ohio State and whatnot. So I'm going to I'm going to predict here that Penn State proves that they belong in that upper echelon in the college football world by beating Utah here in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and I think when you think of a storyline, and Roman thinks you're sticking with the pick here, Sean Clifford has been in college football since I was born pretty much. Uh, Not quite that long, but he's been in college football a long time if you didn't catch the drift there. I think this is his seventh NFL, seventh college football season. Boy, I wish (laughs) he was that good. Uh, This is his seventh college football season, which if you don't know, it's, it's a pretty darn long time to be in college football. And I don't think that the college football gods would be doing him justice if he didn't go out on top after a long, faithful career with a dub in the Rose Bowl. I feel like it's just too perfect. It's his last hurrah. They've got a lot of players coming back, some declared for the draft, but they have a lot of good players filling those positions, coming back for their last games um, in a college football uniform, in a Penn State uniform. So it's a very very meaningful game to Penn State, I feel like. It's got a lot of storyline, and I know Utah has been playing – some really good football beat USC twice, one of the mm-hmm. better offensive teams in the country. But I do think that Penn State just has that well-rounded team that that could shock that could shock some when it comes to the Rose Bowl. And you know, it it would be obviously I'm not going to say Utah. I have to say Penn State. But still, it I think that the storyline's there. And even though USC might be better than the Penn State team this year, I, I still think we we give we give Utah our best chance of a walkout with in my opinion, the best Rose Bowl, the best bowl game of them all. Mm. I I honestly don't know the answer to this question. Is Parker Washington playing or is he out for the bowl game? I don't think he's playing. Okay. Um, So for me, Roman, I was on your side. 
I had Penn State winning because for me, when I go down my Capital One Bowl Mania picks, I like to mix it up a lot, have some upsets, have some some teams that are going to win. But a recent trend that I've noticed is that for these games, I like to pick the team that I think will have a better season next year. That's why I picked Washington, because I think Michael Penix and that Washington team is going to really improve next year and be a top contender for that playoff when it comes down to January and December. And I think that of Utah this year, and that's why I'm going to go with them. Obviously, Parker Washington and one of your best corners being out is not very promising, especially against a team going up against Utah with Cam Rising. Cam Rising has been one of the most fantastic quarterbacks in the back half of the season that we've seen all over the board. As you said, they've won two straight, putting up 63 on Colorado, 47 on (laughs) USC alone. And if you keep up with Utah football, you know that they like to get hot at the end of the season. Right, That physicality starts to set in on the other teams, and they really figure out the other team's offense, which Penn State, if we're being completely honest, has a worse offense than Utah on paper and in reality. Penn State's offense, especially without Parker Washington and without one of your key linemen, is not going to really improve against this Utah team who prides themselves on defensive prowess. I want to pick Penn State here because I want to see Sean Clifford end it the right way. I want to see Nick Singleton really pop off in his freshman year and cap it off and move into next year, moving great. But I really like rising in this Utah team this year, beating Utah. I mean, beating USC and Caleb Williams really was really promising for me. Give me the Utes and what a lot of people are going to pick as an upset game. So I have two quick things that I would like to address in your, your previous statement. First, when it comes to talking about the next season, uh, as far as, something you need to prove that Penn State could have a good year next year. They did have the number one QB recruit in the country from last year commit to them and Drew Alar, who will be the starting QB for them next year. So if all goes well, there is potential that he may get some minutes in this game, knowing that he is the future. And uh, he was also the number one QB commit in the country. So um, if that's not any promise uh, to go alongside the two running backs that they have that both um, were insane this year, I, I don't know what is, but um I don't know if you know this or not, but Parker Washington was not our best receiver this year. So I, I, I know would, it was Tinsley, but still. I, all right. As you will. But yeah, yeah, I just, you know, I want to pick Penn State. I really do. They were my original pick. I just, I like the Utes. I really do. And I mean, when you look at talented QBs coming out of coming out of high school, a lot of them pan out. A lot of them do well. I forgot the name of the guy at Wisconsin came in as a five-star and he's been starting for three years in the big 10 and has gotten worse almost every single season. So you can't really judge a QB coming out of high school as talented and ranked as they are. I really like Cam rising coming back next year after his junior year. I think they will prevail, even though I would love to see Penn state win and Sean Clifford end it the right way. It's okay. You can doubt us, but me and Roman know what's up. (laughs) We'll see what happens there in Pasadena. Easily the most, prestigious bowl game of them all that'll be a really talented one a really good one with a lot of good talent there let's move on to the college football playoff we've already touched on it a little bit roman but lead us off here who do you have in the fiesta bowl tcu versus michigan well i may be pulling a little bit of a sore with some of you since i talked up tcu's offense a little bit earlier on but i'm going to take michigan in this game i do think that they are going to be the team that wins in all three phases like i talked about earlier here Now, yeah, sure, TCU's offense may have the slight advantage over Michigan's defense, but I think the same thing reigns true, you know, on the opposite. I think Michigan's offense will completely overwhelm TCU's defense and, you know, special teams. I'm going to trust the more experienced team in Michigan there to get that done. 
I think this Michigan team is once again playing with a massive chip on their shoulder. They want to get to that next level, the national championship game. And I think, uh, no offense to TCU, I don't think TCU belongs in the college football playoff at the end of the day. I think Alabama really should have gotten that four spot, and this should be Michigan versus Ohio State. But either way, um, Michigan defeats TCU pretty handedly, proving that TCU really didn't belong in the playoff, in my opinion. I'm not going to say that TCU doesn't belong in the playoff, even though I think that there are other teams that could have fit better over them, just because I know at at this point I'm starting to see – and I have said before that I don't think TCU belonged in the playoff, but over this past month I've reflected and I have come to the conclusion that if it was my team, there would probably be a lot of people saying that we didn't belong in the playoff. And if it was your team, there'd probably be a lot of people that would say that you didn't belong in the playoff. So I think that when it comes down to TCU, we have to deal with the cards that we've been dealt. They, they earned, air quotations or not, their spot in the playoff, and we have to accept that they're here. Now – with that being said, Michigan in a blowout, they're advancing to the college football championship. That's that's all I have on that. Yeah, Michigan's going to cover. As I said, TCU looks similar to Ohio State, except without as many big wins. Give me Michigan to cover the 7.5-point um, spread right now. And then Roman will move on. Actually, quick question. The line's at 7.5 right now. Roman, assuming it does not move, do you think Michigan wins by a blowout? Do you think – TCU keeps it within seven. I think Michigan covers that. Okay. So we're all agreed. Yeah, same here. All right, let's move on to the next game, the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Georgia pretty much with home field advantage here. Georgia versus Ohio State, the 1v4. Roman, who's your pick for this one? Man, I'm going. (laughs) O-H-I-O. I am taking Ohio State to get the upset here. I mean, Georgia can certainly win this game. I think they deserve to be the favorite. I mean, obviously, they won the SEC. They've been the number one team all year. But like I mentioned earlier, Georgia has played down to teams pretty much all year. They played down to Kentucky. They played down to Mizzou. And no matter what you think of Ohio State, Ohio State is way better than either of those two teams. There's no reason why Ohio State cannot win this game. They have the talent on both sides of the ball to do it. They have the better quarterback. I think Ryan Day gets hated on way too much as a coach. I think he's been phenomenal throughout his entire tenure at Ohio State. And I think he gets his signature win here over Georgia, getting this upset to advance to play Michigan in a rematch for the national championship. Man, that'd be awesome. Man, Roman, I thought we were going to disagree here, but I'm happy to be on your team again. Ohio State was my preseason pick to win it all. I'll stick with them winning against Georgia here. I mean, I did I just think I agree with Roman. Georgia's played down to their competition all year. One team that they didn't, that you failed to mention, was Toledo. And so at the end of that game, Georgia really uh, was kind of letting Toledo hang around there. They were up by a touchdown or a field goal for most of the game, but just the fact that it was that close the entire game was kind of concerning. Uh, and of course, it was early in the year and they've gotten better since then. But at the same time, they've been playing down to the competition. And Again, Georgia definitely deserves to be the favorite, and they definitely could easily win this game. But at the same time, I think Ohio State plays its cards right and finds itself in the rematch with Michigan and Ohio State. And boy, would it not be sweet as a Penn State fan for the only two teams you lost to all year to be facing off in the national championship. That I just thought of that. That'd be something crazy. So for me, obviously, all of these picks are subject to change, but the one I feel most confident about 
is Georgia beating Ohio State. As I said, mm. in the games I've watched, in the games that they win, it's always pretty much by a huge margin. And if it's close, it's typically a big touchdown at the end of the game. I don't see that happening without Jackson Smith, the Jigba. If they had him since the preseason, if he were not to get hurt, Ohio State would be the favorite nine right now. In my opinion, they would be the one seed. But without him, with just the Marvin mm-hmm. Harrison show, I do like Georgia get it to get it done. Again, only allowing 13 points per game, 77 rush yards, 215 yards in the air. I do like Georgia's consistency. However, when it comes to a game like this, I do think that Ohio State does stand a chance. And if I were to change this down the line, if I need an upset to trump me in Capital One Ball Mania, this is the game I'm going for. But right now, give me the dogs to overtake the Buckeyes. Man, Roman, it's me and you against the world right now. Yes, sir. Yes, so sir. for y'all, we've got the rematch. Big brighter than SEC. We've yeah. got the, yes, sir. We've got the rematch of the second best rivalry in sports, according to Roman, and the best rivalry in sports, according to Brent Roman. Who do you think is going to take home the national championship in this one? Well, this hypothetical matchup uh, between Michigan and Ohio State in the national championship, it's a dream for college football fans everywhere. The game for the championship. What more could you ask for? Honestly, what more could you ask for? But I'm going to take Ohio State here to beat Michigan. Uh, For one, it's just insanely hard to beat a really good team twice. Michigan won the first matchup. I think we see Ohio State win the second matchup here in this hypothetical scenario. We saw it last season with Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship game and then Georgia coming back to beat Alabama in the national title game. And again, I think that Ohio State would probably come back, you know, learning uh, some things from the first matchup. I think they'd run the ball more, control the line of scrimmage a bit bit better, not have C.J. Stroud attempt 48 passes which is just insane, especially for college. So, yeah, I think Ohio State would probably play a bit more of a balanced game, a bit more of a balanced attack. And as a result, I think they would get the win and become the national champions. You know, I'm saying what I'm going to say, partially because I have a feeling on what Jake's going to say. But at the same time, I feel like it just fits the storyline. And, yes, Roman, it is very hard to beat a great team twice. And I usually would go against the fact that any team would be able to pull off a win against the same team twice, especially when they're a great team, especially when they're in the college football playoffs, and especially when it would be for the game, for the championship game, like you said. But in this case, I think that it's just the stars aligning for Michigan at this point. Mm. I mean, I already already took them over TCU, and if Georgia's not here to play them for me, I just think that this is the – this is the win for Michigan. Like you beat you beat Ohio State last year. That everybody thought that's probably as good as it's gonna get. Well, then they make the college football playoff. They get stomped. They're back down to where they were at the beginning of last season. Then they beat Ohio State again and they're back in the college football playoff. They beat TCU and now they find themselves with a chance to not only beat Ohio State for the third straight time, but at the same time you can win the college football playoff. That it it, it just seems too good to be true. And it, it could be, but at the same time, I think I think that this is Michigan's perfect scenario where they get the team that they have struggled to beat, the team that has put them on the meme teams, the team that has put them in the dust for countless years on end, and they get the chance to beat them not once but twice and the second time for the national championship in all of its glory. So give me the Michigan Wolverines and a pick that 
makes my stomach kind of turn over mm-hmm. and I'm not 100% confident in, but how can you be confident in a pick like that? But yeah. you know, you, you got, you hype up the storyline, make it sound great and give me Michigan. Yeah. I think that when it comes to these scenarios, everybody wants to see the dream fulfilled. I remember when we were talking March madness last year, it was UNC versus Duke. And I'm, I'm over here saying, give me North Carolina. I think, I don't think coach K can last this long. And y'all both picked, give me, give me Duke. I think, I think coach K is going to end it the way he should, the way he needs to go out. And I do think that's a possibility with Michigan or Ohio state. However, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so, uh, I'm more afraid to pick them than I am confident because this Georgia team can absolutely swamp the competition. They have the ability to do that. They've been doing it all season against teams that they should beat the team or the teams that they would be close with the teams that they should beat for some reason have hung around. But again, I think a month of preparation, a month of time off, who cares that they lost a bunch of recruits last year, the draft, give me Georgia to beat Michigan in the one V two matchup. I really like Georgia's team this year. They've just continued to prove me wrong as they continue to win games in that LSU game. I know the final score was 50 to 30, but they absolutely controlled the pace of that game. And a team that beat Alabama, who we all thought should have been in the playoff when you look at it. So give me Georgia. But the reason I'm most happy about that pick with Georgia is all three of us have different national champions, Mm -hmm. which I think in a year where a lot of people think it's very top heavy, the fact that we can all have a different champion just shows that, you know, even though the four team system may be a little bit flawed, there's still a lot of a lot of fun in it. I will go out and say this. I think the winner of Georgia, Ohio State is going to win the national championship. I think that's just how it is in any scenario, regardless of what happens in uh, TCU versus Michigan. So to me, Georgia and Ohio State is the de facto national championship, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, no hate to TCU. You've had a great year, but I don't think they stand a shot with with the big dogs. And giving credit where credit is due, if any of our teams were in the scenario, we would want all the credit in the world for making it. So, yes, hats off to the Horned Frogs for an incredible mm-hmm. season. And mm-hmm. if you somehow win the college football playoff, wow. But yeah, and <laughs> until that day comes and I'm asking for forgiveness, um, I'm, I'm going to take Michigan and take them for the championship as well. I would rather see TCU win than any of these other teams, but I don't think it's going to happen. Even though That's the other fair. dog, even the other dog would be fun. It would. Eh, yeah. I don't know. I lowkey want to see Ohio State or Michigan win. It'd be pretty cool to see either of them win. Yeah, if we can, let's let's either get a TCU championship or a Michigan Ohio State rematch. One of those will help a, us out. As long as a non-SEC school wins, <laughs> I'm pretty satisfied. I think I have a feeling. I have a feeling that Big Ten executives are going to lose their mind if Michigan and if Michigan and Ohio State end up in the championship and they know that they have the champion for the college football playoff before it even happens. I feel like that's just something they won't be able to handle. That'd be so cool, for sure. Y'all got any other hot takes? The episode's been full of them. Anything else before we get to the week recaps and then a big announcement after that? Uh, No. No, I guess not. <laughs> I mean, we we did a we did a reaction on Instagram, but can we talk about the game of the year? Yes, Memphis, the game of the year. <laughs> Big oh win gosh. for Memphis, largest margin of a bowl victory so far. Pretty pretty pumped about it, but then we lose five of our best players, so that's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah because Ryan Silverfield is just oh, like Memphis football is a clown oh, show, man. and Ryan Silverfield. I'll be back. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, we can go ahead and get into the week recaps. Roman, tell us about your week. It was a little bit of a short week compared to when we usually record. How was it? Well, um, I got out of quarantine just in time for Christmas, so that's fun, uh, obviously. It's great news for me. I was able to have still a pretty normal Christmas for the most part, and that was great. I've just been chilling uh, the last few weeks, just grinding on uh, NBA 2K23 that I <laughs> one of my gifts, if you, know, if you want to call it that, I'm spending like maybe an hour or two on in the day, so not exactly what you would typically envision as grinding, but you know, it's still kind of a grind for me. I'm using grinding way too much, but there you are either, you grind your way out of it, man. <laughs> oh my gosh! But either way, uh, other than that, it's been a pretty uh, chill week for me for the most part. Other than the, you know, the near cardiac arrest that I had earlier tonight inside of the FedEx Forum with Memphis and South Florida. I mean, the Tigers were down by ten with like six or seven minutes to play. And then Kendrick Davis ends up taking over. The team goes ballistic on defense and they still pull it out, avoiding a quad four loss. So <laughs> great, great for me. Yeah. Right. I could say that I'm on the same page as far as basketball goes. Uh, Penn state, they, they, they held control of our game pretty handily against Delaware state the entire time today. They just never really pulled away it was it was a rough shooting day, but we it was never it was like that the game where you know like the other team's not in it, but you're just not pulling away. It was that kind of day, but we still won and we're one game off tying our total wins from last year. So it's been a pretty it's been a pretty good start to the year. We're ten and three right now, and I'm excited about that. But uh, as far as my week went, Christmas was good. Saw Avatar, and that was amazing. Mm. Um, it really was. It really this. Uh, yes, playing that. The first one was just so boring. Like it's visually Whoa. So, like, so wow. boring. Wow. Look, look, I it is I'll admit those movies are visually stunning. They are very well produced, but they're boring. They're just boring. My week was great. I uh, <laughs> went to see Avatar. Uh, I watched the first one for the first time as well. Visually stunning as well as kept me entertained. Uh, it was wonderful. And uh other than that, been chilling, uh, cleaned my room. It is now a wonderful palace. Um, I'm blocking out the fact that Roman just said that Avatar was boring uh, because it was not. And yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got. It's been a, it's been a good chill week before we have to go back on the second. Yeah, mm-hmm. going back to Memphis, South Florida for a second. I'm very delighted. <laughs> um, and no, it's a good thing. I'm glad that Tyler Harris got the ovation that he did. You know, from the Memphis crowd, we all stood up and gave him a good cheer as he was introduced in the South Florida starting lineup. So yeah, it was nice to see Tyler Harris come home one last time. Well, I also saw avatar and other than the hundred cuss words or so, whatever it was, it was a visually stunning is the only way to say it. Brent, you hit it perfectly. Visually stunning movie. I said visually stunning first. (laughs) (laughs) Said it, but then you followed it up with saying it was boring. So I kind of just nullified some blasphemy. Your comment. It was it was amazing. And the thing I loved about it is that they can have that what you want to call baseline storyline, but it is still a fantastic movie all around just because of how many things go that are unexpected. Yes, it follows that 
I'm not going to spoil it completely, but there's trouble and then the team wins at the end, right? But there's still that little bit of chance there for evil to come out on top. Like it can have that storyline and still be great. Um, so I thought it was fantastic. Oh, visually stunning. So do, yeah. do do I need to see the second Avatar? Do I need? Yeah, to it's, see- vi- it's visually stunning, Roman. Well, I know that it's Avatar. Dude, it's so it's so visually stunning. Of course, oh I've I've heard that they've already filmed the third one. Yes, as well. they have. They filmed like, that's the third insane. one. Oh. They filmed two and three at the same time, and then they're because of age, and they don't want to like age out the actors, and then they're gonna film four and five at the same time. So yeah, they it, are just doing post credit post like editing, like editing the to make it look like real. Yeah, that's crazy. But, yeah, so I saw that with my family. It was a pretty good movie. Um, I also switched jobs this week strictly because I've got to got to focus on making some more money before college. So that was – it sucks to leave because I've been working at where I was at Faith Baptist Barlow for two years, and the, the relationships I was able to build there were, were super fun and super enjoyable, and they became some of my best friends. But now I've got to move on. I've got to go to, to newer heights in order just to have a little bit more income. So that was a big decision I made also this past week. Um, but other than that, man, I've been waking up at noon. Like, I can't help it. I, I set my alarm for 9 or 9.30, and I'll end up sleeping in because I just love sleeping in, and I hate that I have to go back in three days after a middle school lock-in tomorrow night of getting no sleep well, whatsoever. Not tomorrow night. What, what are you planning to do at 9.30 in the morning anyway if you don't have anywhere to be? Just, just, I don't just wake up early, get back in the routine. I don't know. I feel like I should, but I never do. Well, my Jay, my well, days Jay, always get started at high noon. school. There's no such thing as getting back into the early morning routine with high school. It's just not happening for you. Yeah, you, uh, you, uh, like, you, you're gonna have a little trouble with that, considering it's already two fifteen in the morning. Yeah, I know. It's uh, this was hey, not planned. The, li- the <laughs> listeners don't have to know that. But I feel like it adds a little more spice. They know that we're putting in the work to get it mm-hmm. out. It's 2.15 in the morning, mm-hmm. and we're recording Men in Hoodies. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what else the listeners have to know? We have a there you big go. You're announcement welcome. coming up. Roman, lead us in the biggest announcement probably of the Men in Hoodies era so far, other than those fantastic hoodies, obviously. What do the listeners have to look forward to coming in the new year? Yeah, so obviously you all know that uh, we are on the horizon of 2023. <laughs> 2022 is coming to an end and with that is going to be the end of season one of men and hoodies uh mm-hmm. and we're gonna have brent here break down why i say it's the end of season one for the podcast <laughs> well thank you roman for that incredible toss so there's two <laughs> reasons why you could say and i planned this out beforehand so this is scripted there's two ways why you could say this is the end of season one one is because it is the beginning of a new year and with new year you need new things so what better way than to end season one 32 great episodes of men and hoodies which brought you some great content a lot of content but it was great we hit an hour and 42 minutes on our longest episode which there's just a lot of great content in there but we we thought that we could lead you in a better path here and something new coming into the new year which leads to the second reason which is why we are going into a new season jake if you would like to take it away a little more I like this. We're kind of tossing everybody. This is this is really cool camaraderie. Um, so the the idea was, you know, sitting down on a Saturday night, whatever it is, for a long time, as Brent said, it's fun and all. But the new way we're going to attack this is we are now going to bring you at maximum 
four episodes a week. And you're like, Jake, why would we ever sit down and listen to more than an hour of y'all talking, of teenagers talking? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to post these mini episodes throughout the week. Say, say, say Tiger Woods comes out when and wins the Masters one day. Okay, we're gonna post an episode talking about it. We'll give you predictions. Or or, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Are we? I gave enough Roman. I'll toss to you. What else? Are we? Well, we we probably won't be talking about Tiger Woods winning the Masters because watching golf is about as boring as watching paint dry. But we will be dropping many episodes about various things happening throughout the week. Uh, whether good or bad in the sports world, like game reactions, we got you, you know, instant news reactions, trades, we got you. This is going to be a brand new interactive way for all of you uh, to listen to the men and hoodies podcast without having to take say like an hour and a half out of your day. Yeah. And to go on top of that, and we'll just continue with the quick jumping between people, (laughs) which I really love that we're doing here and it's going really well so far, but on top of that, in case you are a, listener of Men in Hoodies that enjoys the episode we post at three o'clock in the morning. And so on Sunday morning on your way to church or Sunday afternoon on your way home from church or Monday or Tuesday or whenever you'd like to listen to a longer episode of Roman's Luscious Voice or me and Jake laughing at things that Roman has to say, then (laughs) you can listen to what we're calling Men in Hoodies After Dark. Men in Hoodies After Dark is just, you know, that 30 to 45 minute time window, which we are going to try our very absolute hardest to keep it in between that time period where we're just highlighting some of the things that we may or may not have got to over the week, maybe going over it again, as well as probably some more game predictions, a little more lax, having some more fun. It's early in the morning. You never know what kind of stuff we could get into. It's it's early in the morning, but it's also after dark, you know, that weird kind of mix. Yeah. The, the basic goal is to keep you guys entertained throughout the week rather than just once a week with the podcast. And then every two weeks with the men who show at Arlington, we want to keep you guys in tune with what Men in Hood is, do- is doing throughout the week. So, yeah, like they said, 15 to 20-minute episodes throughout the week with a maximum of three of those mini episodes. And then, as Brent said, to wrap up the Men in Hoodies After Dark on that Saturday night. So we'll basically be pushing out content for you all week. And you can listen to it wherever you are. You can always catch up because the duration is not as long. And you can get more of that in tune, involved, better predictions, better analysis because we're crunched on time picks and analysis so i think it should be fun is there anything that we're leaving out guys uh well if you I thought you I'm said gonna... that the maximum was four maximum of, yeah maximum of four mini episodes maximum of three. Oh, okay <laughs> well and and to go along with that we will try our very absolute best i'm speaking on behalf of our tiny men and hoodies crew this year which hopefully will be growing in the near future but Um, On behalf of the Small Men and Hoodies crew here, we will be trying our absolute best to push our content on Instagram, our social media account, as well as working on making the website a little more websiteable. We started, I started that and Roman has been holding down the fort over there. I don't really know if he's posting anything over there right now or not, but we're going to try to make that more. Look, I... I need you guys to start looking at it, okay? <laughs> All right? We we are trying. We will try our best to make sure we can. And by, and by you guys, I mean the listeners. I need, <laughs> I, we need that user interaction. We, we will try our best to put the best content out as well as consistent content. It is a new year, which means we have new opportunities to start new things. And we're, we're going probably overboard with all the things that we're going to do. But it's going to be great. We're hoping to get more of you guys involved as well as making things that 
uh, everybody wants to listen to because we know after we had our meeting that uh, listening to 18-year-olds talk about sports for an hour and a half might not be the best thing. So we thought of ways to expand better. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if it goes well, but mm-hmm. this is for you. Hey, we and do if, this every week. Go ahead. Great, but y'all might not. So we're trying this. Yep. Season mm-hmm. two, Men in Hoodies. And this is, this is completely dark. uncensored for you listeners out here. We're just blabbling. It is like three in the morning. But yeah. if you ever have an idea about something that we would need to do in the moment, you see big news drop, DM us on our Mennonites Instagram account. We will see that. And hopefully we will see your message and honor your requests. And then honestly, even more, we kind of mentioned this earlier in our meeting that we had. If you <laughs> want to be on an episode throughout the week, let us know. Let us know your topic and we can potentially get you on that. So this will open up more listeners to be involved on the podcast, get your voice out there as all of us like to do when it comes to the sports world. Is, is that all? Can, can Brent wrap it up? I'm feeling the energy bunny. I think that's it. Let that, let that energy bunny speak through you, man. Let's end it. All right. Well, I don't know if I know how to do this or not. And I definitely don't know the end of the website link. So you know what I'm talking about when I say this, but thank you for listening to the 32nd episode of the men in hoodies podcast. This is the last strictly named men and hoodies podcast as we have previously mentioned for the past 10 minutes we will now be branching out into new and more diverse ways starting in 2023 with the men and hoodies mini series and the men and hoodies after dark series also known as season two and whatnot whatever we come up with for that but make sure to be on the lookout for that and you can look at our social media account on instagram men.n.hoodies on instagram as well as our website which is something like wix.brentline something like that we're going to work on it doesn't really matter. Like Roman said, you guys don't w- look at it anyway, but we will be expecting you to look at it when we fix it up ourselves. But other than that, thank you for tuning into the 32nd episode. As far as me, Jake, and Roman go, we are all tired. It is almost 3 a.m., but this has been I a wonderful hour. But- I-, I could too, but we're, yeah, but we're signing off, so we're going to act like we're tired. It's been a great 2022. Lots of blessings. We thank all the Men in Hoodies fans for all the success, all the hoodies, and all the love you've shown to our our small little podcast over this year, and we hope to continue to grow it come 2023. But if all of that is done, uh, thank you for listening to Men in Hoodies, signing off from 2022. The water chose me. Maybe something will choose me different next year. Who knows? Peace.